Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. What's up, everybody? It's Kevin. And this is John. And this is Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger, the podcast where we take a long, hard look back at some of our favorite action movies from the era of Arnold. Schwarzenegger is the icon of the genre, and we're taking a deep dive into some of these 80s and 90s cult action movies and breaking them all the way down. Welcome back, everybody. Hey it's guys. episode three of our special holiday edition. Happy holidays. Um, Happy holidays, Kevin. Yeah, we're creeping up on Christmas at this point, surely. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, John McClane is creeping through some air ducts. Oh, that's that was we good. Call it in the business. <laughs> <laughs> we call that a segue. Um, that, was, that was excellent. Yeah, where we last left you, McClane had almost fallen to his death. <laughs> in the, air, in the air shaft, but he caught on with his fingertips and was able to scurry into an air duct that we think above the 34th Fourth floor. floor. Yep. Yeah. He's giving us one liners, man. He's creeping along in there. He's you like, know, no, I know what a TV dinner feels like. He's such a New York, New Jersey kind of a guy. Yeah, he is. He he's very a, much is. Yeah, I love he's, that got guy. It, he's got it figured out. Meanwhile, Carl and the other two goons are on the 34th floor checking out all the duct work. Yep. They know where McLean is because Carl saw that light when like McLean lit his lighter up to see what was right. going on down there. He could what tell. He lives. He spotted him. Yeah, so they fan out on the floor, and they're, like, shooting up the ductwork, basically. Whatever ductwork they see. Well, McLean spots him and then accidentally makes a noise. Carl hears oh, that sound. Oh, you think sound. he heard him? Yeah. I didn't. I never detected noise. I just thought he's like, here's a oh, duct. No, I'm I think he, I think he hears something, right? Oh, maybe. I feel like he hears a sound, like there's, like, there's like a buckle or something in the in the vent or I something I feel like happens. whether he does or doesn't, it still sort of makes sense. Yeah. Carl freaks out because that's what Carl does in this movie and starts yeah. shooting up the air duct, which... Nearly his McLean. I yeah. love the shot, the undershot with the light coming through the bullet holes. Yeah, you and see you, like the dust stirring or whatever. And you see just how close it was to hitting McLean, who keeps quiet. Yeah, keeps to his, his credit, composure. he keeps his cool. If it had been me, there'd be urine pouring through the, <laughs> through the, bullet, <laughs> through the bullet hole. <laughs> uh, I'd be dead. Um, and then Carl, it's weird because they don't ever tell you like, here's what he's doing. Right. But you just get it. Yeah. Like he's got his, the barrel of his gun, his rifle, and he's poking at well, the thing. That's feel, he's aluminum. feeling for weight. Yeah, he's feeling for weight, seeing if anything, if it won't buckle, then he knows something is Something heavy is up there. Right. That's just cool to me that intuitively, though I've never been searching an air duct You're for a person. You're not an HVAC guy? You know what he's doing. That's just good good screenwriting, I think, to know that that's going to come across. People will know what that is, what he's doing, what my, that means. My uncle's an HVAC guy, but he never put me in the vent. Did he ever find a body in a... I have no... No. Oh, okay. He probably put a body in one. I don't know. Whoa. <laughs> Just kidding. Hey, hey, I didn't say that. Um, so, yeah, as, as Carl is poking the duct's trying to feel for weight, we see McLean pulling out his gun and without a very flattering... Uh, shot yeah. just trying to From point that angle trying to point the gun any which way he can to uh to position it to fight back if 
need should arise. These are tense moments. These are very tense moments. But yeah. right in the nick of time, one of the other terrorists runs in to tell Carl that the polizai have arrived. Yeah. So police have police are here. Yeah, it's time to go check things out. It's hard to buy Carl walking away from that situation without getting satisfaction. Right. Like, yeah, you guys go worry about the police. Right. I'm gonna keep checking these ducks, but whatever. Yeah, I exactly. Like it. it buys uh, McLean just enough time. Just enough time. Downstairs in the turnaround in front of Nakatomi, we see Al Powell played by Reginald Bell Johnson. <laughs> Amazing. Rolling up uh, with his sack full of Twinkies, and he's <laughs> and he is getting the uh, getting the lay of the land from the turnaround in front of the building. Yeah. Um, the terrorists are descending to various levels and vantage points all around the building to try to get. A a good look at what's going on to watch him approach. I feel like he is just driving laps around yeah. the turnaround. Um, <laughs> McLean is dropped. He drops out of the ductwork and he runs to the window to look. He's absolutely filthy. He <laughs> is. He is gross. I buy that though. No, like, absolutely. If any area is going to be really dusty, it's inside the air duct. Even if that building's brand new, he's going to look disgusting. The um the costume person said that they had seventeen different like stages of dirtiness to the tank top. I believe it. Like, yeah, that's pretty that's awesome. awesome. That's great. Um, but so it's odd that Carl and and them. The easiest thing would have been for them to also be on the 34th floor looking out the window, but they went to a different floor. They have to obey their master. I don't know if it was the 35th or the 33rd or the whatever. But they, they probably got a call from Han saying go to a specific place that isn't the convenient location of our They go link, link up with Marco or Heinrich or somebody. Right. right. Fritz. <laughs> Meanwhile, McLean drops out. He's filthy, and he makes his way to the same room where Takagi was killed, that, like, conference room. Yeah, there's a pool of blood on the floor, and blood still splattered all over the windows. Yeah, he, he takes a look out the window and sees the black and white still <laughs> driving around in circles. Um, Al is telling dispatch that he doesn't see any signs of a disturbance. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then we get an awesome line from McLean. Yeah. Who's driving this car? Stevie Wonder? Oh, that makes me wonder, will Stevie Wonder jokes be relevant forever? Yes. Like, Stevie Wonder's a treasure. Thank God he's still with us. Absolutely. But like, will there be a generation who has no idea, no reference of who is Stevie Wonder? Until they make the Stevie Wonder movie, I guess. Oh, that's going to be a good movie. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Incredible songs from Mr. They Wonder. You can't get Jamie Foxx to play him, too. No, though. thank you. No. Um, John Legend. That's my um, guess. His voice, is, his voice is not high enough to, no. to play Stevie Wonder. That's going to have to be a generational talent to play Stevie Wonder. <laughs> that voice is ridiculous. Anyway. Back, wait, are we talking about Die Hard? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, Al sees Eddie, right. our desk man, right. inside, and he's like, well, as long as I see somebody in there, I guess I'll go check it out. I can go ask someone what's happening. Yeah. Um, Eddie comes and lets uh, Al into the building. Um, very congenial and, and Southern hospitality with, with mm-hmm. letting him in the door. What can I do for you? Um, again, we see several of the terrorists running towards windows to, to check out the situation. Um, one of them says that it's only one cop and everyone has a chuckle. <laughs> Is that what they were saying? Like, I'm not up on my German. Yeah, well, it, the, the one guy says, nur einmal, which means only one. And then the one guy with the long hair and shoulder pads says something that I can't make out and everyone kind of <laughs> chuckles to each other. Yeah, so Eddie is suggesting there's probably another false alarm like the fire alarm. Right, that the system um, is faulty and they've had a lot of bugs. Which doesn't really account for someone making a radio call. <laughs> no. But... But at any rate, it always just cracked me up that Eddie is talking openly about his illicit gambling, yeah. like in front of a police officer. Right. 
He's yeah. I see. I, I work in sports. So he's like listening to the Notre Dame USC football game or watching it on TV or right. listening on the radio. But it's Christmas Eve. Like there is no world in which that game would ever have been played where those two teams could be playing on Christmas Eve. Well, wow. they'd either play in the regular season, which they do this be around Thanksgiving. Right. Or they could play in a bowl game, but that would be after New Year's, New Year's right. or later. There's just no world in which they play on Christmas Eve. So maybe he has 50 bucks riding on a replay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know why that's like a, that's a weird mistake to make. It could have been an NFL game or it could have been yeah. a, or they could have made it a college basketball game or an yeah. NBA game. I don't know. But at any rate, it anything doesn't else. fuck it. Anything else. Yeah. That's like one of these small flaws in this movie. Yeah. And we'll forgive it. He's got 50 bucks bet on them assholes. <laughs> um, so then we, we were transported back upstairs where McLean is furiously trying to break out a window with a chair. We see a guy on the roof who, who hears this and starts to radio down to Heinrich and Marco who are on the roof. Why is he trying to break the window out? I think he's trying to get the cops attention. Although he hasn't like gone to leave yet. Yeah. Has he? At no. any rate, it doesn't I, I think matter. he's still trying to sit any way you can. Wave because, and scream, cause, maybe. Because if he goes in, he doesn't think that he's going to yeah. see anything. I think that he's just trying at this point to see whatever he can do to, to get ahead of the problem. The ability to wave and scream and maybe someone on the street hears you is a would be a a, a good development for or him. Or maybe he's going to try to throw something down on the car at this point, like yeah. before even An anything chair happens. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. So back down in the lobby, Al asks Eddie if he can look around and Eddie says, yeah, sure. So he starts to look around mm -hmm. and He's, then, and then we, uh, we cut back upstairs. McLean is interrupted in his window hijinks by Marco who runs in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, McLean's got the drop on him somehow. Yeah, Marco, Marco's begging him not, don't shoot, don't shoot. McLean's telling him to drop his gun. And then Heinrich, who well, is giant, runs I'm, up behind him. I'm bugged by, like, McLean is very hesitant to just kill somebody. Yeah. He's like, what is he going to do, arrest them all? Maybe. I mean... I don't know. I'm just thinking like there's just no he, uh, I, I guess can't he, imagine the world in which he's like not just willing to shoot Marco on sight. Yeah, and I guess he has But it is already, his police training, I yeah. guess his instincts is not to more officers more, of the law should do what John McLean is doing in this you don't situation. Use deadly force unless you have to. Right. It's the way it's supposed to be. And in this case he probably is. He's thinking if I can isolate this one guy, then I can pump him for information, perhaps. But yeah, so that's when Heinrich uh, also comes right behind Marco. Marco Quick, quick thinking drops and lets Heinrich get hosed. Let's Heinrich eat all the bullets. It's just like meat, flesh flying through the air. That was a pretty good kill. Oh man, it's it's gruesome. It's a it's a good a good uh, on camera kill. Um, and McLean quickly jumps underneath that badass zigzag conference yeah, table that's in cool that table. room. Like you can be like looking at multiple guys. It's not like anyway. That's a cool table. <laughs> Everyone cool used to sit at a at a. A jaunty angle. I wonder if that's something that was an existing actual designed piece of furniture or if it, the movie created it that. Probably a Frank Lloyd Wright they ripped off. <laughs> it's very interesting, the interior design of this place. It's awesome. Um, yeah, it's sort of mid-century meets like feudal Japan. But yeah, so Marco's got the upper hand now. He's yeah, got the Marco's machine gun on and top of the table. McLean's hiding under the table. Um, back downstairs now, we have a lot of cuts between, between Al and John McLean. So yeah. downstairs... 
Al isn't seeing anything to be concerned about and decides to leave. Screw this. It's Christmas Eve. He's got to get back home. Uh-huh. But uh, little did he know that yeah. just around the corner. If he had walked 10 more feet, he was going to get killed by the armed gunman. That's right. Who we who we posit is Uli. Uli we, seems to be the backup for the lobby area. Right. Yeah. Because he's the only one that can speak English without an accent. Oh, good call. Yeah. Thank you. Great, great call. Thank you. Um, back upstairs, you're right. Marco has McLean dead to rights. He is pinned under the conference table, and McLean has run out. He's out of table. He's fresh out of table. <laughs> he is. You are done. No more table. Yeah, he's fucking Marco. Yeah. You got a hubris, the hubris of Marco. The hubris of everyone in this movie, really. Um, so as he's reloading his gun, he's telling McLean, yeah, next time you have a chance to kill someone, don't hesitate. And, and then, then what happens? McLean opens fire. He immediately gets hosed through the table. Through the table. Thanks Great face. Shot all around his dick and balls. <laughs> Painful way to go. Bullets going straight up through your body from, um, from the toe to your head. McLean hits him with a one-liner. Thanks for the advice. Yep. Now, Bruce Willis got like permanent hearing damage. From shooting the, the from gun that, down there? From close quarters. Like he was holding it close to his body. Oh. And he's under a table. Like, Interesting. Yeah, he I lost hearing, I think, in one of his ears. On that, Makes or sense. lost most of the hearing one of his ears. Wow, uh, that's really interesting. Now, here's a part that bugs me. All right. One of the few, few flaws in the film. They don't show us. McLean didn't check Heinrich or Marco's shoes, mm. as far as we know. I'm extremely bothered by this. Unless McLean like, wears a size 20 or something, I got to think that his one of those. His huge. <laughs> yeah, we know this. I got to think one of those two would fit him. Yeah. Like, that'd be three terrorists. If you're over three on a shoe that you can cram your foot into, something's either you're, something's wrong with you or something's wrong with all of My them. My only thought is that the actions happening on the 34th floor and the actions happening in the lobby are happening in such concert, in such close yeah. proximity. I can see him running back to the window to see. That he's run back to the window, and by this time... Al has already gone to leave. He's wished Eddie and Eddie has wished him a Merry Christmas. It's very, Mm -hmm. you know, the spirit of the holidays. Um, He doesn't even like first. We agree, though. Shoes should be priority numero uno. Right. Absolutely. So Al goes outside, radios in, says false alarm, false alarm. But nobody has no place to go, which aren't the words. <laughs> Nobody's um, got no place to go. McLean sees Al leaving. He is furious. And he's sends, like, what? what the fuck? <laughs> well, you can agree. You can identify with McLean in that moment. Oh, yeah. Where he's like, how much do I have to do? Yeah, absolutely. And he sends he sends Al a corpsogram by dumping <laughs> by dumping Marco's body out the window. And it lands right smack in his windshield on Al's car. That through is the windshield. accurate body tossing yeah absolutely al throws the car in reverse he's peeling out someone from a lower floor opens fire with like a machine At this gun point, i think that once the other baddies see that happen they're like we got to kill this guy because now the police are yeah. going to be alerted now he's got that heavy like the belt fed machine gun or yeah. whatever like the heavy one that's like just tearing his car to shreds yeah and then and then bruce willis john mcclain uh sends him a greeting that's an iconic line welcome to the party pal yeah that's on all the all the like teasers every trailer's yeah. gotta have that line yeah. and so i think that it's at that moment 
that mm-hmm. if McLean hasn't yet, he's now got the time, time to go look for shoes. And you could have you could have quickly plucked Marco's shoes off the body and then thrown it, even if he didn't have a chance to try them on. Yeah. But at any rate, he goes back. He's like got all the time in the world to go over Heinrich's body. Yep. He's like getting the gun off him. He takes his bag, which is full of the like a brick of C4 and all the detonators. Right. Meanwhile, in the garage, Argyle is still completely oblivious of the commotion outside. <laughs> it's an awesome moment all when the car is breaking like, loose. The car is screaming by in the background, and Argyle is just like having the time of his life. Al is radioing for for backup, telling everyone he's under fire. Backs the car over a, cr- a concrete ledge and and climbs out covered mm-hmm. in his head blood and Twinkie residue. <laughs> 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 um, meanwhile, across town at Channel 14, newsman Dick Thornburg, Dick, played by um, the excellent William Atherton, yeah, um, here's on the police scanner while he's trying to convince his girlfriend that they're going to have dinner at Wolfgang Puck's <laughs> restaurant. Wolfgang and I are very close friends. <laughs> I interviewed him for God's sake. He he hears on the police scanner that some shit is going down in Nakatomi. Yeah. And, and immediately gets a raging boner. This brings me back to like people are fishing for dates on what's what, eight or nine PM on Christmas Eve? It's a very lonely time of year for a lot of people. For a lot Kevin. of people, a lot of suicides. <laughs> <laughs> That's dark, but it's yeah. dark but true. It is true. Um everyone, if you're feeling if you're feeling something out there, call somebody. Reach out to us on Facebook. Reach out to us. We love you. Or or, or call someone, but Reach out to us too. If we you really, want to. truly do love you guys. Absolutely. Um, so we cut back to Nakatomi. Calls from Al for backup have worked, yes. and more units start to show up to secure the perimeter. Yeah, and Gruber is telling his his goons who are kind of in a panic. Like everybody, calm down. We were expecting this. Yeah. This He's was like, inevitable but necessary. On, on what actually we need them to be here. Yeah, this is simply the beginning. That's another line that would be great in the trailers. Yep. McLean hops on the radio. Oh, starts talking to to Hans. The first of several like perfect interactions between these two. Which, and this is like the skill and the editing and the acting to stitch this together when they're not actually having a conversation, you know, they're each like recording their parts separately. Right. Yeah. This is, we should go ahead and talk about it here. I think I have it in my notes for later, but Bruce Willis's ability to convey emotion, to read the lines and really, you know, you feel a sense of urgency to them, or you can really feel a sense of panic or desperation from a character with no one else in the room. Just it's him with a radio. Yeah. I mean, it's, amazing that's yeah that's takes talent from an actor to give a performance like that with no one to act off of 50 percent of the movie hangs on that ability it's crazy absolutely crazy so he surprises them with how much he seems to know about right he 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 drops names like tony marco and this other guy that i killed everyone is is freaking like i figure you and carl and franco might, might be getting a little lonely and one of them was in a Panic. Like, how does he know so much? Carl. Carl is in a panic. He's Did rattled. He, was Hans hitting his button? Hans seemed to sort of lose his cool for a second. Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. Quiet. Like, he could hear him. But Hans, cool. <laughs> Hans then starts trying to uh, to bait McLean to get him to uh, admit to whether he's a security guard or yeah, not. Yeah, you're very troublesome for a security guard. <laughs> Sorry, Hans. Ron, guess. <laughs> I love Alan Rickman's face here where he's sort of like, 
who is this like, guy? Yeah, I was like, who the fuck is like what's going on? Yeah, I love it. Befuddled too. by the voice on the other end of the oh, line. And this is the moment in which McLean's like he's rooting through Heinrich's bag. Yeah. There's C4 there and the detonators. Right. I love he takes his cigarettes and he's like, these are very bad for you. Who bad for you? <laughs> to a corpse. So oh, beautiful. So Hans asks who McLean is. McLean says, I'm just a fly in the ointment, Hans, the monkey in the wrench, the pain in the ass. <laughs> so good. This would have been the moment where they ought to have given some type of an explanation as to why he didn't even look at Heinrich's shoes. Yeah, absolutely. Because he's got clearly a lot of time Yeah, up here. He's like um, wisecracking and talking on the radio. While McLean is talking, Han sends other men to see if what McLean is saying is true, if, true. if he yeah. actually killed these guys. And Hans continues to chat, asking him again who he is, saying he's just another American, yeah. another orphan of a bankrupt culture. Watch too many movies. He start, yeah, he's trying to trash talk him. I he, think he's trying he, to rattle McLean. He drops Rambo a little tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, thinks he's Rambo or John Wayne, um, Marshall Dillon. But he's like trying to rattle McLean, but it's yeah. not working. Or 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 get him to reveal something about yeah, himself. Tip his hand, something. Yeah. I wonder, is that like that was probably was the Euro, the European concept of Americans? Oh, it still is, I think, in some large measure. They're well now all cowboys. It, it used to be cowboys and and that sort of thing. Now I think it's probably you're all crazy reality TV show stars or something. There was a there was like an American themed restaurant last time I was in London that was like a cowboy like themed sort of steakhouse. Interesting. And I was just like, oh, interesting. When I was in Italy several years ago, rummaging through the frozen food section of an Italian grocery store, <laughs> um, they had a uh, American style frozen pizza oh. and it had like corn on it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows why. That's what they think of Americans. We're all corn fed honkies. <laughs> but I do think like there was a perception probably in the mid 80s that movies like Rambo yeah. and Commando and like these you know, where Stallone or Schwarzenegger or Chuck Norris was like taking on an army by themselves, like that that was viewed as like, and maybe rightfully so. America doubled like that down was American that values. That's American film. Yeah. Yep. So what McLean does for me that's brilliant is like, he's clearly seen those movies also, mm -hmm. but he's able to laugh at them. Mm -hmm. And he's not rattled in the least by like, Gruber taunting him. If anything, he takes his taunts and always just turns them back around. Like, you know, he asks him if he thinks he's Gary Cooper or whatever. And he's like, I was always partial to Roy Rogers. <laughs> you know, like it's always, it's, right. he's got a comeback that plays on what Hans said and just is off putting to Hans. And Hans uh, doesn't miss a beat and says, Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Oh, who says it? Well, who you ding. or me? <laughs> first, first you get uh, a ding, oh, an ominous ding, and then McLean backing you through, backing through the door. Yippee ki motherfucker! And that's so that becomes the catchphrase for the franchise. Yeah, for the it's entire interesting franchise. It's just dropped sort of unceremoniously in the middle of the film. It's awesome though, and like it's, Willis, it's Willis claims that it was just a throwaway line that he's just trying to make the crew laugh. Like with his delivery, but I mean, man, did it ever work? Yeah, it it is golden. Now back over at Channel 14, we got Dick Thornburg. He's like begging their news director to let him take a news let van. Let me take a news van. He threatens to steal a truck if the guy won't acquiesce. <laughs> yeah. He's about fucking up the newscast. Yeah, Harvey Johnson over at the <laughs> news desk says, give us a break, Thornburg. I mean... 
He Thornburg is just like another colossal asshole oh, in yeah. a movie that's full of them. Like the yeah, there are a lot of inept characters, and Thornburg is yet another one. And Atherton Atherton admits that he loves playing these types of characters. Well, he played so many in the eighties, which and, is it's, and yeah, it's fortunate for him, I think, because he's fucking great yeah, at it. But like, plays, I think of him in Ghostbusters first and foremost. Um, he was also in Biodome. Oh well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was in Real Genius as like the dickhead. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's like. These are great for him. Well, as as Harvey attacks and he whips around, and says, "Eat it, Harvey!" Uh-huh. And I love that face. That Harvey, like square jawed, like gritting his teeth. Harvey looks like he's gonna like crack his teeth, um, and misses his cue as they go mm-hmm. live. Um, Harvey, we're on the air. <laughs> you gotta go, man. He like quickly recovers. Uh, oh, wow, this is Harvey Johnson. And then, and then the the awesome uh, Mary Ellen Trainer, who was Mrs. Walsh <laughs> from the Goonies, playing Gail Wallens, sort of trying not to like lose it, laughing at her at her uh, co anchor there. Mm-hmm. Um, those were awesome touches in that scene. Okay, so back at Nakatomi, Carl is returned. He tells Gruber that. Uh, he wasn't lying about Marco. He's down on the street. <laughs> I love that line. And the other man is Heinrich and his bag is missing. Rut row. This is the first moment where we, in sort of the only moment where we see like uncertainty cross Hans's face. Yeah. He's um, like, well now my plan's fucked. Yeah. Because Heinrich had the detonators in that bag. Mm-hmm. Hans uh, radios to Theo, asks about the schedule and uh, breaking the locks on the vault. Um, Suddenly, Al jumps on the radio looking for whoever called the police. Yep. Um, Al's a smart dude. Yeah, totally. Um, all the bad guys like drop everything and are listening in. And McLean gets on the line mm-hmm. and says that this is a party line, meaning the goons are listening and they've got itchy trigger fingers. The neighbor's yeah. got itchy trigger fingers, meaning they're armed. But he and- does start telling them. Everything, right? Or as much yeah, as he can. He, start, he starts laying out how many hostages there are, what floor they're on, uh, starts yeah, laying out yeah. how many uh, how many terrorists they are. The leader's name is Hans. Right. Hans seems unconcerned why everyone else is freaking out, um, but says that they need that bag. They've got yeah. to get the bag with the detonators. I love the line. Uh, he says they've got this, that, and they've got enough plastic explosives to orbit Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yes. I love that this movie exists in a world in which those movies, the Arnold yeah, and Stallone movies, they're out there. Yeah. Like, they just are a... You know, and I love that. They're like, because we're not that type of movie. Right. And we're by that a real world. This is a real guy that is not that like bulletproof Arnold or, or Rambo type. Um, yeah. He mentions to Al that the, the terrorists are well armed, mostly European, well financed, <sighs> judging by the quality of their clothes and their fake IDs, fake IDs yep. and cigarettes. And judge them by their clothing and their cigarettes. Right. <laughs> and um, and I love even even all the, the pauses during this section, like where Bruce Willis stops because he hears something like he hears sirens or he hears something else. Just like take a moment to like get his bearing in the, in the, in the upper floors of the building. Um, Al asks what he should call McLean. And he says to call him Roy. It's a throwback to the Roy Rogers thing that he had. Yeah. It's brilliant. Cause he's like, I can't tell you who I am. Um, Yeah. Can't tell you now, maybe later about this time. Deputy Chief of Police Dwayne T. Robinson oh rolls up on the scene. Paul Gleason. Another fucking brilliant character. Yep. What this movie's got going for it is that the all the supporting cast is so like fleshed out. Yeah. Like all the actors are are brilliantly cast. 
and they have just enough that they're not just a one dimensional. Right. It's not the same. Well, he is kind of one dimensional if we're being honest. Yeah, but you don't see the same three assholes. The three very unique inept different assholes. Different types of assholes. <laughs> right. Every different type is represented. Right. Um, <laughs> we should also also mention here that that as much as we love Deputy Chief of Police Dwayne T. Robinson, that one person that did not love him and and literally <laughs> thought that he was the the one like terrible element of the movie, the scourge of the film, yeah. was Roger Ebert. He hated this character. The creme like, de la creme of film reviewers. Loathed. Yeah. He said that Dwayne T. Robinson brought the whole movie down. He claimed that he was like sort of an, a guy who was an idiot just in terms of just there to service the plot by being stupid. Right. And I just don't see that. I mean, he is no doubt he's dumb as can be, but he doesn't the plot is rolling along just fine. I'm trying to think of if you removed him, like I just, I don't see it. I can't, I can't even fathom the, how the scenes would have been written without him in there to, to, to try to negate what John was saying or yeah. McLean was saying to try to negate what Al's saying. Um, it's really, really interesting. Paul Gleason is a just brilliant in this. He's another yeah. guy like William Atherton, who's made a, a, he made himself a, a legend of playing the same type of character, but like he does the breakfast club. Obviously yeah, he's the principal iconic, iconic, the same type of like a, I'm a blowhard, hard ass, but I'm really kind of dumb. Yes. <laughs> he was in trading places. He right. was, he was awesome in there as well as the goon. Um, yeah, I, I love it. Sorry, Roger Ebert, rest in peace. Yeah. I think he, he backtracked, I think on that. Later, yeah, he, later in the life, movie's said, great. Yeah, I, later yeah. in life, he said that, that, I got he, that one wrong. He, I think that he probably overreacted. Yeah. Maybe he hated Paul Gleason. Who knows? Maybe they uh, had a beef. Anyway, um, Al tells Deputy Chief of Police Dwayne T. Robinson that he's been told by McLean all the information about the terrorists and the hostages. Yep. Robinson sort of balks at the story, thinks that McLean's either a terrorist or a nutcase, and that he was probably the one shooting up Al's car. <laughs> Why? I just don't understand why Robinson's first instinct would be to doubt Al. Because we got to move this plot along, baby. <laughs> I guess so. So you're on Ebert's side. <laughs> well, maybe or maybe he just, I don't know, because if he shows up and says, sounds I mean, it's good. A, it's a far-fetched story. Would it have been as interesting if he'd said, sounds good? Well, what I get we what now? he's saying when he's saying there's no evidence of a terrorist plot. Because no one's, right, we no one's called. No one takes hostages and then keeps quiet. Right. Um, but... He's Al says he thinks he's probably a cop. Yeah, he thinks he's he a badge. Some, why? I'll give you this line. But he's like, what makes you say that? And I was like, you know, the things he said, like being able to spot a phony ID. Jesus Christ, pal. He could be a fucking bartender for all we know. That's a fucking <laughs> brilliant line. It's um, so good. So Steve D'Souza says the reason why he was able like to flesh out these minor characters so much is because Bruce Willis was still having to work some days on moonlighting. Right. And so there was a lot of time to shoot stuff with the supporting cast. It's interesting. Willis was moonlighting from moonlighting uh, to her die hard. Womp womp. Boom 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 boom. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Channel 14 news van and Dick Thornburg roll up. No one is ever excited to see the press in any situation. Um Right about that time, upstairs, uh, the, oh. the goons bring in Holly to, to speak Hans. to Hans. 
Um, she's sort of a smart ass with him. He asks, who put you in charge? And she's like, you did when what you idiot fucking put you in charge. You fucking killed my boss, you dick. Um, she, I like Holly. Oh, yeah. She's my type of lady. She's got moxie. She's yeah. a strong woman. I like that. I'm a, yeah. yeah. A Love career Holly. woman driven. Um, she says that her pregnant assistant with Wolverine hair needs a place to lie down <laughs> and that unless Hans likes it messy, meaning people are going to start going poop, poop and pee pee all over the lobby, <laughs> in the that, fountain. They, that they need to go to, uh, to the bathroom in groups. Um, she also over his shoulder as he's asking if there's anything else. Her eyes wander. Yeah. Her eyes wander on the, the flipped down family portrait. She seems uh, like, Oh, the relieved, the, the portrait right. still flipped down. And as she's leaving the room, um, he, he gives her a compliment saying that Takagi chose his people. Well, Mrs. And she says, Gennaro, Miss Gennaro. I thought. When she, when her eyes wander over there, there seemed to be a moment where Hans turned his head. Like he's looking at like, looking over his shoulder. Like what is she, what was she looking at? Right, right. And he doesn't. He brings his focus back to her. Just sort of like, I wonder what that was all about. Yeah. Like Hans is a pretty perceptive dude. Down on street level, Thornburg is letting people know via special news bulletin that terrorists have seized the Nakatomi building. (laughs) I Um, work, I work in the news. Yeah. And. Both me and and uh, friends who work there, like we sort of feel like on on movies, the actors playing like reporters always are so actorly with their oh yeah with portrayal, their like pauses, dramatic pauses, and like <laughs> oh, yeah. that that's not the way it is in reality. Well, I but mean, he gives he Thornburg gives like a full on newspaper lead as his intro into this talking about the fraternity of those cities that have been stricken by a terrorism. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. He's got his whole, like his script is very well prepared. Yeah. I guess he's been, he's been working on it pretty hard in the van on the way there. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, <laughs> in the limo, in the garage, oh, yeah. Argyle, they've cut into whatever he was watching. I think and he is now hearing this for the first time as he's about to pour himself a tasty beverage. Um, <laughs> he runs up or runs up. He uh, scoots up to the front of the vehicle. Well, they say like the the only communication is the C it's through CB radios. And he's like, I got one of those. Yeah. So he can hear the police channels. Yeah. Um, Then shit starts to really go south as far as this whole situation. (sighs) The yeah. Robinson's out there. He's got the SWAT team on the scene and he's like SWAT. They're ready to send. They're just ready to send SWAT guys to breach the building. Like, first of all, if you don't trust McLean. Right. Then what, where are you even sending these guys? This is a huge building. If you're going to trust him that there's hostages and terrorists on the 30th floor, which they don't even, why are you trying to breach the building? But they have no evidence of that yet. Right. They still don't know if they're even hostages. They're like, we're going to send the SWAT in. This is a piss poor plan. And he's like, yeah, we, and, and some, somehow someone gave approval for this. We've got approval from Robinson, presumably yeah. or yeah. chief or, or the real the chief. chief. The chief's probably drunk somewhere. It's Christmas Eve. That's true. Good call. At the, at I the think Robinson's Christmas party. the man in charge of police for the city. Al and McLean, um, unsurprisingly think this is a bonehead <laughs> yeah. idea and say, and say as much the police fire up giant searchlights. Um, McLean's asking Al what's going on and, and says, yeah, this is a terrible idea. Why are you guys coming in? Um, I love, there's a moment that, um, you know, Robinson says to Al, like, you know, basically we've got no evidence that anything that McLean says is true. And then, uh, House. What about the body that fell out the window? Yeah. And he's like, who knows? Probably some stockbroker got depressed. <laughs> the holidays. Anyway, um, Hans is telling his people to get ready. 
uh, Theo is monitoring surveillance yeah. cameras. Eddie locks down the lower levels. And outside, the SWAT guys are moving up. McLean is watching in just helpless desperation from above. Yep. He can do nothing but watch the shit go down. I love the moment where the SWAT team guy pricks his finger on the rose bush. <laughs> you say you don't like it, but to me, it's like just another... It's one of those reminders that this, this movie's happening in the real world where if you ran by a rose, but like, even if you're a tough SWAT team guy, that hurts. I think that this is yet another example. It's reinforcing that everyone that's in the LAPD is inept. All these guys are doing <laughs> the wrong thing. And so this guy traipsing through the roses is like, ow. There's also old. like the possibility that it could be both. Like oh, that it functions as both. No, like, yeah. This is a real world where police are inept. I've or pricked, some I've pricked my finger on a rose. <laughs> People get it. People identify with it. Um, now, Uli has come down to the lobby area That's to right. help back up Eddie. That's right. And there's a the beautiful moment where he's like, he's at the newsstand and he's kind of looking around like he wants that crunch bar, man. It's in the it's in the case. He wants it. He's looking around like, was anyone going to care if I take a candy bar? He haven't eaten in several hours. His blood sugar's down. That's right. Maybe he gets um, cranky. But that's that's Al Leong. Oh, he's yeah. amazing. Yep. He's like an amazing kind of character actor, stuntman. Um, he's always seems to play a goon. I can't think of any movie where he's not a bad guy. I mean, I have to look it up, but I can't either. Yeah. But yeah, he's in Big Trouble in Little China. He's amazing. <clears throat> um, I got Lethal Weapon, Action Jackson. Mm -hmm. oh, man. They live. Bill and Ted's so excellent adventure. Ones. He was uh, Genghis, Genghis Khan. Khan. He's awesome, dude. He's got one of those faces that you'll just recognize him forever. Well, I mean, Genghis Khan was a warlord, but in the movie, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, he's kind of a nice guy. Yeah, he's <laughs> he a ends sweetheart. Up being a nice guy. <laughs> he likes ice cream and he likes uh, playing baseball or whatever. That's right. Um, outside, a group of SWAT move up to the lobby doors. Um, Theo tells the baddies where the police are approaching mm -hmm. from with, via Twas the Night Before Christmas. I feel like during this part, Argyle is like cruising around the parking deck, like looking for a way yeah, out, trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, I remember so well. So I mentioned in an earlier episode, my version that I watched 20 to 30 times before I got DVD or anything like that was just a bootleg recording off of HBO. Yeah. And during this portion of the movie, someone had like changed the channel on the VCR. So uh -huh. it flips for like 15 seconds over to an episode of Who's the Boss? <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. I can even like I can in my mind every time I hear it, like I'm like, this is the moment that it flips to who's the boss and then it flips back to Die Hard. <laughs> I don't. That's just that's awesome. It's burned into my brain and will be forever. Mm, die Hard and who's the boss? A winning combination. <laughs> Two great tastes that taste great together. That's right. Um, the SWAT radio that they're in position. Yeah. The leader tells Robinson that his men are ready and Robinson <laughs> gives the order. Kick ass. <laughs> so they start, they got the blow torches, right? And they're trying to like to. Yeah, they to move up to the lobby in. doors. One, well, one guy gets up and he tries to break the lock. Um, Uli is peeking through. He's on his second or third candy bar. Um, <laughs> it's, the, a great, it's a great moment. He is working on another bar that's not a crunch bar. Right. Um, and then the bad guys start firing, targeting the spotlights. Yeah. Al great. called it. Al was like, they're, they're, man, they're yeah, aiming for the yeah, lights. Robinson did like the SWAT commander are bantering and they're like, they can't see anything. Like it's just panic. And he's like, 
And now, yeah, yeah, they're shooting at the lights. And then the lights start breaking, and Robin's they're like, going for the lights. They're going after the lights. Um, yeah, at this moment, yeah, you see that the SWAT guy couldn't break the lock, so they send up the guy with the blowtorch to burn through it. Um, then you get an instruction from Hans telling his men just to wound the SWAT guys. Um, <laughs> and then this is another line that I love in this movie. The SWAT leader ignores Robinson's door. Yeah, Robinson at this moment, in a moment of clarity, is like, pull him back, get him out of there. Yeah, it's not, this isn't working. <laughs> but the SWAT, the SWAT leader's like, send in the car. Send in the car. <laughs> He's so confident uh, that their that their um, RV is gonna is gonna be the answer to their problems. Yeah. So we got we got. <laughs> Uli, he's like been distracted from his candy feast. He's like uh, him and Eddie start shooting at the guys at the door. They shoot him in the legs and shoot arms the shoulder. And whatever. Yeah, they're yeah. taking him out, um, incapacitating them while the armored vehicle makes its approach. Yeah. Um, a couple of the terrorists after Theo tells the group, hey, the police are sending in a tank, essentially. Right. Are, are running to set up the guided missile launcher. As the armored vehicle rolls up and they hit it with well, a missile. I got to say, the guy, the rocket launcher, missile launcher operator with the ponytail. Right. Is Vigo from <laughs> Ghostbusters Vigo. 2. Vigo the Carpathian. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. He's just amazing. Anyway, I, I don't it. think he gets to say a word. He does, certainly doesn't get to speak English. No, he's, he yells in German. He's one of the ones that yeah, actually just, knew German, yeah, so they yeah. milked that for all it was worth. Um, Theo, we got to say, wait, what the hell? We talked about this. What the hell was the SWAT team in the car trying to do? They just run that thing up the stairs that it doesn't seem like it's capable of making it upstairs. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, because at this point, I mean, it was coming in before the guys at the door were hit. Yeah, was that it, was my thought was like, was oh, they're coming, coming in to, as backup. Was it coming in to help bulldoze I the think door? Once they weren't able to blowtorch or pick the lock, Even or whatever, they never got the opportunity to. Really. They're like, let's drive the car right through the fucking front door. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes the most sense to me. But the it doesn't get very far and they nail it with a missile. Yeah. Theo sadistically is exult exultant about this. Yeah. Um, These guys are reveling and, in the killing. And Hans tells his guys to hit it again. Um, McLean begs him not to He's do like, this. He's like, you made your point. Yeah. But like, let him back but, off. Let, yeah. Like, let him get out. But Hans is like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm I ruthless. Think, and we're going to we're going to make our point here. I think Hans is still pissed from like McLean shitting all over him and their radio conversation. Right. Well, like, and you know, that's why he's like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Hit it again. Yeah. Especially if it'll piss he's like, off. Oh, it's this like, okay, guy. that's cool. You have my detonators. You are screwing up the operation. Yeah. Um, but that pissed McLean off. Yeah. McLean at this point gets an idea. <laughs> um, he opens up the elevator shaft, uh, with the help of an ax that he finds. They nearby. do hit it with a second missile. Yeah. They hit the it with thing, a second I'm wondering, missile. Like, are those guys dead now or, can yeah, they, this thing stand up to that? I don't know. Two missiles? I don't know. I mean, those things are, the SWAT vehicles are not built, I don't think, to handle missile fire. I, I have no like, idea. I can't bullet, imagine bullets that they are. all day long, yeah, I'm sure. Maybe. Um, so McLean starts rigging up a brick of C4. Um, while he's doing that, they cut outside. You see the burning SWAT car and, yeah. the, and the guys on the ground, like writhing and screaming in pain. It's pretty gruesome. Um, McLean is, is sticking as many detonator, fuck it, sticking yeah. as many detonators as possible into that, that brick of C4. In my mind, I was always like, I have no idea how this works. That doesn't seem realistic to me, but I did some research and yeah, that's exactly how C4 works. Yeah. Depending on the type of detonator Super you have. Volatile. Like it's, it's pretty stable. <laughs> 
But if it gets a charge yeah, in it, then it, it's will go. I mean, it's volatile with that many so charges. So the detonators are really sensitive. Right. And if they get a shock, they set off a little miniature explosion that then would blow up the, the brick. And he straps the C4 to a chair weighted down with a computer monitor. Yeah. And chucks it. Geronimo motherfucker down the <laughs> elevator shaft. <laughs> oh, that's a great moment. And it does. The explosion goes. It's huge. It's it's giant. It blows out multiple floors of the building, kills the baddies with the missile launcher, yep. and unexpectedly shoots a giant ball of flame up the shaft. And we see John McClane <laughs> diving for his life. Yeah. And it's like. That moment is amazing. On every TBS um, trailer for that, that moment of him ducking out of the way with the fireball shooting yeah. out the doors, they always played that. What do that, you mean? That oh, moment. Commercial that for moment, the movie yeah. or something? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, he sees it coming. He's like, oh, shit. Is he going to make it? I don't know. I don't know how anyone could survive that. Well, I guess we better cut here. So you guys are just going to have to wait. Sorry, till I didn't quite catch that. <laughs> hey, Siri. Hey, Siri, shut up. To, but I cannot. My apologies. Okay. Um, where were we? Yeah, we were gonna be back next week and we're gonna find out if McLean survived this carnage. So we hope you'll uh, join with us and uh hope you're having a happy holidays. See you guys next time. Oh the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful, and since we've no place to go. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow It doesn't show signs of stopping And I brought some corn for popping The lights are turning way down low Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow